just want to share a few thoughts with you this morning. I'm trying to, trying to keep these lessons a little shorter so we can limit our amount of time together, but I wanted to bring a few thoughts this morning about the idea that God knows. I have there quoted part of what Travis read for us this morning from 2 Peter 3. Do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and the thousand years is like one day. The point that we're going to make here as we go is one thing we have to wrap our arms around when we talk about our God, the God that we serve, that he's not bound by time. Time is something that is so very much a part of a human's life. In fact, we, we take it for granted and don't even really think about it that much until we start trying to break it down and, and understand that, God, that time doesn't apply to God. Then we, we run into some problems in our own minds. But God knows. And not only does God know, but um, he's always known. And again, this is something that we, we, we try to wrap our heads around. And I, I use this particular verse as a way to, to, to talk about this. In Revelation 13 and verse 8, it says, All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life. Let me just talk, stop here for just a moment. Revelation 13 is talking about uh, an evil nation that will rise up. I believe that what John is talking about there is talking about Rome. But anyway, what he's talking about there is that an evil nation will, will be allowed to rise, will be allowed to uh, practice these certain things, speaking blasphemy against God and all those kind of things. Um, and a lot of people will go along with it. A lot of people will go along with worshiping the emperor, which is what Rome got into. It says, all, all who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of the life of the Lamb. And here's what we want to focus on. Slain from the foundation of the world. Now we know, and it helps us to understand there, that the Lamb that's being talked about is Jesus. And as John is writing this, he talks about how the Lamb has been slain from the foundation of the world. What does that mean? It means that the Lamb he's talking about was slain, was put to death before the foundation of the world. Now, how can that be? Well, as I mentioned in the beginning, time doesn't apply to God. Uh, one day is a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. So God knew before the foundation of the world that his son would have to die for our sins. And so when we think about what God has known, we have to understand that he's always known it. The events of today... God knew from the foundation of the world. I'm talking about today. And so as we try to wrap our arms around that and get an understanding of that, we, we can see that how important it is in, in the knowledge that God has given to us. To, to bolster that point, in 1 Peter 1 and verse 20, it says, For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared to you in these last times for the sake of you. Again, same idea that God knew about his son, knew what he was going to have to do, but it was for our sake that all these things have been carried out. So think of it this way. God knew of every event that would ever happen before he created the world. So the events of today, God knew would be taking place when he created the world. 
With that in mind, if you're there, hopefully, I didn't ask you to turn there, but turn to Revelation 13 and let's look at the next couple of verses that follow after verse 8. So again, I mentioned that um, John here in his, in his revelation, in the vision that he is seeing, is shown this beast from the sea, is what chapter 13 is talking about. Again, it's talking about a nation rising up, people being worshiping that king, that emperor of that nation, and the things that are taking place there. And as we read there from verse 8, all who dwell on earth will worship him, whose name has not been written in the book of life of Lamb. And then verse 9 says, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. Now look at verse 10. It says, if anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with a sword, with a sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. What's he saying there? He's saying that the things that are happening, if someone is destined to go into captivity, then that's what's going to happen. That all the things that are taking place are according to God's plan, according to what he has laid out already, what he knows is going to happen. And what I find interesting there and where we can make some application is the very last part of that. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. Do we have enough faith to persevere the things that we go through in, the, in this life. In this example, we can see that these things are happening. If, if, if it was meant for you to go into bondage, into prison, that's what's going to happen to you. It doesn't take away free will. It doesn't take away any, any of those kind of things. But God already knows what's going to happen. Because he exists without time. A day is a thousand years to God. And a thousand years is a day. So... Not only has God known man, and not, not only has he always known, but he tells us. So God tells us the things that we need to know. In 2 Peter 1 and verse 3, it says, His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. When it says that God has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness, what does that leave out? It doesn't leave out anything. If we want to know about life and godliness, we can go to God's word and find it. Everything pertaining to life and godliness. So when God tells us something through his word, we can rest assured that he means it. And we can rest assured that there aren't exceptions to it. We can rest assured that should we try to impose exceptions and should we try to augment or take away from God's word, we're going to be in a whole heap of trouble. Because he's given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. In writing, in, in him giving his word, in the context of things that he's telling us, there are some exceptions. And some of these might come to mind. In Matthew 19, when, when Jesus is dealing with divorce, he said that it is unlawful for a husband and wife to divorce except for the cause of adultery. So the, what's, what's laid down there is it's not right for a man and a woman to divorce because God instituted marriage and when a man and a woman come together, they're to be married for life except in the case of adultery. There an exception has been made. Verse Timothy 5 and verse 19, as Paul is dealing with Timothy, giving him instructions on how to deal with the day-to-day -day kind of activities of the church. He says, do not receive an accusation against an elder 
except on the basis of two or three witnesses. So if there's going to be an exception to whatever law or command or, or instruction is given, it will be there. The exception will be told to us, except for adultery, in case of, of divorce, except for the uh, uh, testimony of two or three witnesses when you're bringing an account against an elder, otherwise don't do it. Those are the exceptions to that. With that in mind, I want to look at 1 Corinthians 11. Devin mentioned this as we were taking the Lord's Supper. And in the context there is so very important in seeing what is, is taking place here, that, that God, through speaking through the Apostle Paul, is giving instructions to the church in Corinth about how they ought to come together and take the Lord's Supper. So there in chapter 11, 1 Corinthians, verse 17, it says, When given instruction, I do not praise you, because you come together not for the benefit, but for the worse. Now, we're not going to go through all the details of, of what all they're doing wrong in, in the Lord's Supper. We're going to use uh, some of the things here that, that sometimes escape our attention. But under the times that we're living in are, are brought to our attention. Look at verse 18. It says, For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it. So right there is an important detail that, like I said, sometimes we overlook. What does it say that you come together as? You come together as a church. You know what church means? The, the Greek word there is ekklesia. Those called out uh, from their homes into an assembly is what the word means. Sometimes it's rendered as an assembly. So right there we have one detail about coming together, and that says we come together as a church. You look down in verse 20, it says, Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Your translation might even say, Therefore, when you meet together or when you meet in one place. So here we have the idea of coming together as a body, as the church, coming together in one place. And though he goes on and talks about here about taking the Lord's Supper and doing it properly, look at verse 33. It says, So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. So now we have, we come together as a church, we come together in one place, and we come together at the same time. That's what it means for the church to come together and take the Lord's Supper. Acts 20 and verse 7 helps us to understand when that is. It's on the first day of the week. Paul there is traveling and he arrives in Troas and he waits there seven days so that he can be there to take the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. Saying with 1 Corinthians 16 verse 2 specifies the church coming together on the first day of the week. There in that, there, Paul's talking about taking up the collection. So we have a specific time, the first day of the week. We come together as a church. We come together in one place. And we wait for one another. Now, as I mentioned, when God gives an exception to uh, the things that are to take place, he tells us. Usually right there in the context of where, where it's being spoken of. I don't read of any exceptions here to this. Now, I'm not a Rhodes Scholar. Maybe I haven't found it yet, but I haven't found anything in the New Testament that tells me that there's an exception to this. Now we can look at examples when 
and we don't have specific days of the week necessarily that Paul might have been in prison and not able to do this or someone might be traveling and can't get to where they're going but we don't have specific mentions of it nor do we have any commandment or any example saying that it's okay not to do this circumstances might dictate if you're sick if you're ill if you're in prison but Paul as we mentioned there in Acts 20 verse 7 he was he made it his intention to be with the brethren there at Troas so that he could partake of the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. We saw that it was important. It was important to him. And it's important to us. So God tells us what he wants us to know. And when there are exceptions, he will tell us that. And when there's not exceptions, he will be silent about it. So the example that we have is that he has told us to come together on the first day of the week, and we should do everything we can to do that. Circumstances might dictate that we can't, but it should be our intention, and it should be our goal and, and our desire to come together in any way possible that we can as the church in one place and wait for one another. So having said all that, if God tells us, then he expects us to comply. He expects us to keep his commandments. In 1 John 5 and verse 3, it says, This is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Again, simple to understand. He expects us to keep his commandments. I want to bring up this example. The world in the 1930s and 40s, there's a lot of turmoil. There was a lot going on, and that's why we call it a world war. In World War II, there we're talking about a man in Germany rose to power. He tried to exterminate whole races of people. Six million Jews, I think, was, was the number that was exterminated during this time. And others, political enemies, people who were inferior to his beliefs were being exterminated religious reasons, political reasons, all the things that were taking place during that time, the world was in, it was in turmoil. Think of all the people, all the men and women we had in uniform fighting against the forces of evil during this time. Did the Lord's church survive that? It did. We're here today because faithful men and women continue to worship God, continue to do what he said, continue to uh, meet the expectations that God has for us to worship him, even through these ter terribly troubling times in our world history. The church survived. So will she survive these troubling times or the next set of troubling times that come along? Well, it's up to us, isn't it? God has always provided a remnant that will always carry forth. We want to be part of that remnant. We want to make sure that we are surviving through these times because I will guarantee, from what I know about Scripture, that the church will survive until the end of time. That's God's plan. So we want to make sure that we're doing what God tells us to do, what he expects of us to do, and what he has told us through his word. So God knows 
and he has told us and he expects us to, to comply, so do we trust him? Do we trust what God has told us? Do we really believe that God has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness? If we don't, then we're circumventing and overstepping our bounds as his children. If he's given us everything that we need, we don't need anything else. So why would we second guess him in times of trouble? Why would we rely on our own wisdom? Why would we rely on our own think-sos during troubling times? If God wanted, needed to make an exception or wanted to make an exception to, to his law, to what he has told us, then he would have told us. And so the Bible, the word of God is written for us so that we can indeed survive troubling times. When we need God the most is during these kinds of times. That's when we lean on him. That's when we look to his word to find the truth. That's when we don't second guess him, but understand that he's given us the things that we need. So let's look there and find them. And maintain our faith through it all. Because that's what he's expecting of us. He's expecting us to maintain our faith. He's not expecting us to turn our back on him. To vacate uh, our responsibilities as his children. No, we need to lean on him more. Make sure we're standing up and doing the best that we can under the circumstances, under the places that we live, under whatever circumstances we might find ourselves in. I'll leave you with this. We quote this scripture often when we talk about the plan of salvation. After one becomes baptized, we usually tell them that the last thing that they need to do is to, is to be faithful for the rest of their life and earn that or gain that entrance into heaven. From Revelation 2 and verse 10, Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. This kind of resonated with me, again, in a little bit different way when I was putting this lesson together. Are we really that faithful? Are we really uh, faithful unto death, the old trans older translations used to read. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Are we, are we willing to be that faithful? It does not mean that we flaunt or we tempt God or we step in front of a moving train, nothing like that. We take the necessary precautions for our health. God would expect us to do that. We're not to put him to the test as we see the great example of Jesus in dealing with, with the devil when he's tempted by him. But are we willing to be that faithful? Are we willing to, to put ourselves aside and do what God wants us to do? And rely on him and trust that he is doing the best for us. And trust that his word is sufficient for us. So let's let our faith be that kind of faith. Faithful unto death. And what awaits us is that crown of life. That he's waiting there to give us. Well done, good and faithful servant. What a glorious welcome that will be when we enter into heaven.